please stand for the reading of God's Word. If you're a visitor here, what we've been doing for the past few months is we've been doing a sermon series through the book of Acts, kind of following the life, the ministry, God's work, and the Apostle Paul's life. This morning we find ourselves in Acts 21 and 22. Remember, beloved, these are the very written words of God, written for you and written for me. Acts 21, verse 37, it's also printed in your bulletin on panel 3. Luke writes, As Paul was about to be brought into the barracks, he said to the tribune, a tribune is a Roman commander, May I say something to you? And he, the Roman commander, responds, Do you know Greek? Are you not the Egyptian then? who recently stirred up a revolt and led the 4,000 men of the assassins out into the wilderness? Paul replied, I am a Jew from Tarsus in Cilicia, a citizen of no obscure city. I beg you, permit me to speak to the people. And when he had given him permission, Paul, standing on the steps, motioned with his hand to the people, and when there was a great hush, he addressed them in the Hebrew language, saying, Brothers and fathers, hear the defense that I now make before you. And when they heard that he was addressing them in the Hebrew language, they became even more quiet. And he said, I am a Jew, born in Tarsus, in Cilicia, but brought up in this city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God, as all of you are this day. I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women, as the high priest and the whole council of elders can bear me witness. From them I received letters to the brothers, and I journeyed toward Damascus to take those also who were there and bring them in bonds to Jerusalem to be punished. As I was on my way and drew near to Damascus, about noon, a great light from heaven suddenly shone around me. And I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Now those who were with me saw the light, but did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. And I said, What shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, Rise and go into Damascus, and there you will be told all that is appointed for you to do. And since I could not see because of the brightness of that light, I was led by the hand by those who were with me and came into Damascus. And one, Ananias, a devout man according to the law, well spoken of by all the Jews who lived there, came to me. And standing by, by me, he said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very hour, I received my sight and saw him. And he said, the God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one 
and to hear a voice from his mouth. For you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. And now, why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. When I had returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple, I fell into a trance and saw him saying to me, Make haste, get out of Jerusalem quickly, because they will not accept your testimony about me. And I said, Lord, they themselves know that in one synagogue after another I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. And when the blood of Stephen, your witness, was being shed, I myself was standing by and approving and watching over the garments of those who killed him. And he said to me, Go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. Beloved, indeed, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord stands forever, and may he add his blessing to it. You may be seated. Well, this past week I was reading the news, and there was a, a headline that caught my attention that read, quote, Terrifying video shows pilots flying through Hurricane Ida reaching the eye of the storm. And some of you might know I'm a white-knuckle flyer, to say the least, so of course I had to watch, okay? 40 seconds of extreme turbulence before the plane finally punched through the eyewall. I felt that I had been flying on that plane when I watched this video. To me, it looked like the plane was about to come apart. And the article was quoted... Paul Flaherty, who's the NOAA flight director and a top meteorologist. Paul says, we train our hurricane hunters to be quick thinkers and to be able to adapt to rapidly changing situations. Still, there are reasons why most people would not purposely fly a plane through a hurricane eyewall, and we should never lose sight of that. I promise you, I'll never lose sight of that, ever. That would be an understatement. So you watch this video. 40 seconds of white knuckle flying, okay? You can't believe human beings would do this. These are hurricane hunters. They fly these special planes right into the teeth of a hurricane to get the wind bearing and the wind speeds and all those kinds of things. They provide precious data. So you're, you're flying along with them. 40 seconds, extreme turbulence. And then all of a sudden they punch through and they are actually in the eye wall of Hurricane Ida, which was very compact, I think about 17 miles, and it goes from total chaos to peace and calm and sunlight and beauty. And you see this perfectly uh, circular eye wall all around them, and it's mesmerizing. It's amazing. And if I was on the plane, I would say, can we stay here? Can we just stay where we are, okay, until this thing takes us ashore near a landing strip? But of course, that can't happen. Now, what's interesting is when they went into the storm, they get into the storm gradually. But once you get into the eye wall, you fly directly into the eye wall on the other side, and you go from total peace to total chaos. I, I cannot imagine the men and women who have the courage to do this. It's hard to believe that anyone would willingly fly into a storm like that. And I think it's a good analogy for what we have going on in our passage today. As the Apostle Paul willingly flew 
into the eye of a storm. The Apostle Paul willingly traveled into a city that he knew was extremely hostile to him. The Holy Spirit had indicated to Paul and to others that if he went into Jerusalem, that trouble and danger and prison awaited him, and he went in anyway. Incredible courage. Well, today we're going to look at what happened to Paul when he flew into the eye of that storm. It's a fascinating account. And to really appreciate it, okay, I like to read from the greater context. And so if you have your Bibles, there are Bibles in the pew racks in front of you. You could actually get out your phone if you want to read the Bible from your phone. I won't think you're looking at Instagram or anything like that. But it's good to follow along. Acts 21, verses 27 through 36 is the context of our passage. And to appreciate what's going on, you have to be familiar with the greater context. Okay, while you're turning there in your Bible, Acts 21, verses 27 through 36, or you're looking at your phone or whatever device that you have, or you're just going to listen along. If you remember the context, Paul has traveled to Jerusalem. He's there to bring a gift to the impoverished saints in Jerusalem. Okay, James, the brother of our Lord, tells Paul, you need to take a vow and participate in this vow. Okay, so Paul is in the temple. He's participating in this vow. Okay, our text picks up Acts 21, verse 27. Luke writes, when the seven days were almost completed, okay, this is the vow that Paul has voluntarily participated in. When the seven days were almost completed, the Jews from Asia, just that little note from Luke is incredibly encouraging, okay? If there were any Jews that would recognize Paul in Jerusalem, of course it would be the Jews from Asia. Paul had spent three years in Asia at the church at Ephesus. So if anyone was going to recognize him here, it would be Jews from Asia. Just, a, just another mark of its historicity and truth and what a historian Luke was. When the seven days were almost completed, the Jews from Asia, seeing him, seeing Paul in the temple, they stirred up the whole crowd and they laid hands on him, in other words, to arrest him, crying out, Men of Israel, help! This is the man who is teaching everyone, everywhere, against the people and the law and this place. Now, as we saw last week, that's not true. That was a misrepresentation of what Paul was preaching and teaching in the Gentile lands. Paul was telling the Gentiles in his missionary journeys that they didn't have to live like Jews. Paul was telling the Gentiles they didn't have to circumcise their children. Paul was not telling the Jews in those areas to forsake the laws of Moses. Paul didn't do that, but there was a very um, well-developed misinformation campaign being waged against Paul. Okay, but that's Paul's reputation. He is undermining our people in these other areas. Moreover, Luke records, he even brought Greeks. Okay, that's what these Jews are saying against Paul. Moreover, he even brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. For they had previously seen 
Trophimus, the Ephesian, with him in the city, and they supposed that Paul had brought Trophimus into the temple, which Paul did not do. And so people were falsely accusing Paul of telling Jews to forsake the laws of Moses. They falsely accused Paul of bringing a Gentile into the sacred area of the temple reserved for Jews. Neither of those things was true. Look at verse 30. Then all of the city was stirred up and the people ran together. So you see a riot of great intensity was quickly forming and developing around Paul and these accusations. The Jews and Jerusalem viewed Paul as enemy number one. Paul was undermining their culture, their history, their people, and he was taking their religion and desecrating it by taking it to the Gentiles all over the Roman Empire. This man needed to die and try to kill him, they did. Second half of verse 30, Acts 21, they seized Paul and they dragged him out of the temple and at once the gates were shut. This was a full-blown riot. And as they were seeking to kill him, word came to the tribune, so he's the commanding officer of the cohort, that all Jerusalem was in confusion. See, this is the Romans' worst nightmare. They had an entire fortress just outside the northwest section of the temple called the Antonia Fortress. It was there to try to keep order, okay? Rome was happy to allow them to pursue their religion as long as they did it in a peaceful and orderly way. But if a riot was to develop, they would crush it swiftly and severely. Again, they seized Paul, dragged him out of the temple, and at once the gates were shut. And as they were seeking to kill him, word came to the tribune of the cohort that all Jerusalem was in confusion. Verse 32, he at once took soldiers. And so you should, this, this tribune, this commanding officer, he was very wise, very thoughtful, and he took swift action. He took soldiers and centurions and ran down to them. Because see, the Jews were not allowed to just take someone and execute them like this. He at once took soldiers and centurions and ran down to them. And when they saw the tribune and the soldiers, meaning when the Jews saw that the Roman soldiers were there, they stopped beating Paul. Then the tribune came up and arrested Paul and ordered him to be bound with two chains. He inquired who he was and what he had done. Listen to how chaotic things had grown. Some in the crowd were shouting one thing, some another. And as he could not learn the facts, the Roman commander couldn't understand what's going on because of the chaos. And as he could not learn the facts because of the uproar, he ordered him to be brought into the barracks. Like I told you, just outside the northwest area of the temple, the Antonia Fortress, he said, let's take him there. The barracks are where the soldiers lived and were housed. Verse 35. And when he came to the steps, he, Paul, was actually carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the crowd. For the mob of the people followed, crying out, away with him. If they would have gotten a hold of Paul, they would have literally torn him apart. They were bloodthirsty. They wanted this guy gone. It's hard for us to appreciate how intense and how frightening and how dangerous this situation was for Paul. 
Okay, so now go to your bulletin and we'll pick up. That's the background of the text. Paul was there peacefully fulfilling his vow when all heck starts to break loose because of the false accusation of the Asian, the Jews that were in the area of Asia. Okay, if you're in your bulletin, panel five, let's continue. This is a fascinating account. Real history recorded by Luke. Acts 21, verse 37 on panel five of your bulletin. As Paul was about to be brought into the barracks, Paul said to the tribune, to this Roman commander, may I say something to you? Fascinating. And he, the commander said, do you know Greek? So he's shocked. This tells us a lot about Paul. Paul was born, okay, in Tarsus, which is outside of Israel, okay. Paul was a scholar, a first-rate academician and scholar, and Paul would have been intimately familiar with Greek. He knew the language of the tribune, and so he speaks to the tribune in Greek. And the, and the officer, see, many first-century Jews could not speak Greek. He says, may I say something to you? And he said, the tribune said, do you know Greek? Verse 38, are you not the Egyptian then who recently stirred up a revolt and led the 4,000 men of the assassins out into the wilderness? That's who he thought Paul was. We won't go into all that, but, but Josephus, the Jewish historian, tells us all about this Egyptian assassin. And he's thinking that's who the Jews think this guy must have been, this Jewish assassin that was causing all kinds of trouble. Okay, that's not who it was, but that's who this Roman commander thought this person had to be. Verse 38, are you not the Egyptian then who recently stirred up a revolt and led 4,000 men of the assassins out into the wilderness? Paul replied, I'm a Jew from Tarsus in Cilicia, a citizen of no obscure city. Okay, Paul had serious credentials. He was a Roman citizen. He was one of the most highly trained men of his day. Verse 39, Paul replied, I'm a Jew from Tarsus in Cilicia, a citizen of no obscure city. I beg you, permit me to speak to the people. And we, when he had given him permission, Paul, standing on the steps, so a man, you know, you, you can, you know, look, look online and learn more about this fortress, this beautiful fortress right outside the temple with these steps going up. Paul's on the steps and he's addressing what's probably thousands of Jews. All of the Jews in the temple would have followed him over there right around the walls. He has now got a captive audience. Paul standing on the steps of this fortress. He motioned with his hand to the people. And when there was a great hush. Now imagine this in your mind's eye. This is very dramatic. When there was a great hush, he addressed them in the Hebrew language, saying, Brothers and fathers, hear the defense that I now make before you. Why did the Roman soldiers give him this forum? The Roman soldiers were hoping that Paul could provide clarification and clear up this misunderstanding so that peace and order would be restored. That's why they allowed Paul to talk. That's not what ultimately happened, but that's why they gave him this forum. Look at verse 2. So interesting. And when they, 
his brothers and sisters in Judaism. When they heard that he was addressing them in the Hebrew language, they became even more quiet. You could have heard a pin drop. They were hanging on every single word that he spoke. Now, when it says he spoke in Hebrew, we don't know if really he was speaking in Aramaic or in ancient Hebrew. I think it's more likely that he was speaking in Hebrew. And that's why people even got more quiet. They are listening in. Verse 3, he said, I am a Jew born in Tarsus in Cilicia, but brought up in this city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, who was one of the most respected Pharisees of all time. Educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God as all of you are this day. I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women. As the high priest and the whole council of the elders, they can bear me witness. From them I received letters, you know, extradition papers, to the brothers. And I journeyed toward Damascus to take those also who were there and bring them in bonds, meaning bring them in chains, to Jerusalem to be punished. As I was on my way and drew near to Damascus, about noon a great light from heaven suddenly shone around me. I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, that's Paul's Hebrew name, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Now those who were with me saw the light, but they did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. And I said, what shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, rise and go into Damascus, and there you will be told all that is appointed for you to do. And since I could not see because of the brightness of that light, I was led by the hand by those who were with me and came into Damascus. And one Ananias, a devout man, according to the law, well spoken of by all the Jews who lived there. See, Paul is rooting this in history. The Jews in Jerusalem most likely would have been aware by reputation of Ananias. You know, Paul is saying, if you have any doubt about the story or my credentials, ask the Pharisees, ask the high priests, go to Ananias. And one Ananias, a devout man according to the law, well spoken of by all the Jews who lived there, came to me, standing by me, said to me, Brother Saul, notice he calls him a brother, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very hour I received my sight and saw him. And he said, The God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one, and to hear a voice from his mouth, for you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. And now, why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. Verse 17, when I had returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple, I fell into a trance and saw him saying to me, make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly because they will not accept your testimony about me. And I said, Lord, they themselves know, they know that in one synagogue after another, I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. In other words, they'll believe me. 
when they hear my testimony because they know who I used to be. Verse 20, And when the blood of Stephen, your witness, was being shed, I was there. I myself was standing by and approving and watching over the garments of those who killed him. And he, Jesus, said to me, Go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. Friends, why did Paul give this kind of testimony here? The charges against him were very specific. He's telling our people to forsake Moses, and he brought a Gentile into the sacred area of the temple. That's what was causing this massive riot. Okay, the Roman tribune was hoping that Paul would clarify and that the crowds would go away. In fact, it gets much worse because Paul gives his testimony. Why does Paul give his testimony? Why not just speak to the charges and let the crowds dissipate? Well, what did Ananias say to Paul, okay, in Damascus after the vision? Ananias said to Paul, you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. And now after all these years, 25 years after Paul's conversion, the time had finally come for the greatest Pharisee of them all to address the people and explain what had happened to him. It gives me goosebumps just going through this and explaining this. He had an audience of unbelieving Jew, possibly a couple thousand arrayed before him at the bottom of the steps. And you know what he does, which is so fascinating and so helpful for me? He gives his testimony in such a way as to challenge them. He gives his testimony in such a way so that they would have to grapple with his existence as a Christian. He wanted them to deal with the fact that he, of all people, Saul of Tarsus was now a disciple of Jesus Christ. He wanted them to have to explain how this was true. Paul's existence as a disciple of Jesus Christ in the heart of Jerusalem was a very inconvenient truth for them. For many years, Jesus had led him away. They're not going to listen to you. It's not a good time for you to be here. Go to Gentile lands. Bear witness to me there. But now the time had come for Paul himself to be there and give a witness. Among other things, he reminds them. In other words, he can't just be written off. This can't be just explained away. Paul says, I was a Pharisee. And I wasn't just an average Pharisee. I was a Pharisee of Pharisees. I was trained under, than, under none other than Gamaliel, who had an incredible reputation. He was as strict in terms of observing the law as anyone. So zealous that he persecuted and killed Christian. So zealous that he not only had men arrested, he had women arrested arrested. He was so zealous. He tells them, this is all a matter of public record, if you don't believe me. Go talk to the high priest. Go talk to the Pharisees. 
His entire life had been devoted to the religion of the Hebrews. He was a rising star of the Pharisees. And then all of a sudden, he does a total 180. He goes from suppressing Christianity and hunting Christians down to spreading Christianity. I'll tell you this. That testimony on that day would have been the most challenging and powerful thing those Jews had ever heard in their entire life. Paul's point in giving the speech the way that he did was to make them think and deal with his existence as a Christian. Paul is essentially saying, my existence, my sheer existence as an apostle is a powerful piece of evidence that the gospel of Jesus Christ is actually true. It's true. It's real. I saw it. I experienced it. I heard from him. He changed my life. I'm willing to die for it. There is no other explanation for my presence here with you this morning. I mean, that's powerful, friends. That's not only powerful then, that is powerful today. That is challenging today. I mean, how could he of all people go from hating Jesus to loving him and serving him? How could he go from torturing Christians to risking his life to protect them? He tells them, the Lord Jesus Christ appeared to me, made himself known to me, commissioned me. The gospel's true. I wouldn't be here otherwise. In all my years of pastoral ministry, I think the conversion of the Apostle Paul is one of the most profoundly powerful pieces of evidence that the gospel of Jesus Christ is actually true. Some of the very best um, non-Christian New Testament scholars in the world agree that Paul is being honest when he recounts his testimony. Now, those non-Christian New Testament scholars don't agree that Paul actually encountered the risen Christ, but they believe that Paul believed that he had an encounter with the risen Christ. Okay? In other words, this is they agree that Paul experienced something so profoundly moving that it caused the Apostle Paul to do a 180 and then, be, and then become willing to, to be tortured, claiming that Jesus had been raised from the dead. So why do they believe that Paul had this experience? Again, they don't think that the experience was true, but they believe he thought he had an experience. They thought that Paul, they try to, you know, because they have these facts. Okay, history agrees with these facts. It's how do you interpret these facts? How do you explain these facts? They have all the facts. They believe Paul is an honest person. They believe that Paul wrote at least seven of the 13 letters attributed to him. They believe that he experienced these things or thought he did. So what do they think happened? They think Paul felt that he was so... They think Paul felt so guilty for persecuting Christians that he had kind of an emotional break and felt such deep regret 
over persecuting Christians, that he had this kind of vision or experience induced from guilt where he thought he saw Jesus. And it changed his life. And he becomes an apostle to the Gentiles. What's also amazing is that they believe that Peter, James, and John, and other disciples independently had their own experiences. So what interpretation do you have that all these men, the Apostle Paul, Peter, James, the brother of Jesus, John, and others, they all were so emotionally traumatized by this that they had their own like hallucinations? Or that it's true that the righteous and holy one of Israel showed up to the Apostle Paul and stopped him before he went to Damascus and commissioned him and changed his life so that Paul would be one of the greatest preachers we've ever known. Beloved, we are in this room today. We are in this room today because the gospel of Jesus Christ is actually true. You love Jesus and your life has been changed by him because of the Holy Spirit's work in your life testifying to the fact that the gospel is true. When you encounter difficult times like Paul did and whatever difficulty that you have today, when you are tempted to believe that it's not true, maybe it's a fairy tale, maybe something else, an invention of the early church, beloved, it's true. It's literally true. And you and I can give our lives for it. Amen and amen. Pray with me. Our gracious God and Father, this is mind-blowing history. Our gracious God and Father, we thank you for Luke and for the historian that he was. Father in heaven, we thank you that in your gracious and kind providence, you have given us access to the historical record of Saul of Tarsus's conversion. Father, we thank you that, that Saul and Paul recounted his conversion in such a way to make people deal with the power of it and the truth of it. Father, we pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would, you would convince in us and help us to believe with every fiber in our body that the gospel of Jesus Christ is actually true. And we pray that the power of that would move us and motivate us to testify to His goodness, whether it be at the state fair or whether it be with our children at home or whether it be with the neighbor across the street or in whatever situation that we find ourselves in. Father, use us. Use us in big ways and small ways like you use the Apostle Paul to testify to a dark and dying world the gospel of Jesus Christ is true. We pray this in his matchless name. Amen and amen.